This presentation is from Design Leadership 2020. Uh, we have uh, another talk coming up, um, this time from Tanya. Tanya's going to be talking a, a, a slight change in, in direction for us today. Tanya's going to be talking about um, the design challenge and um, more effective recruitment techniques. There you are. Hello, Tanya. Hi there. How are you? Very well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'll get straight into it, shall I? I can, I can see your slides and I can hear and see you. So yes, over to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Steve. So um, I, it's really a, a privilege to be here today, speaking of privilege. So thanks, Katia, also for your presentation. It was really interesting. And I think it flows in really well for what I'm about to talk about. So I'll get straight into it. If I can click properly. <laughs> okay. So just lost a slide there. So what I wanted to do, I just quickly to introduce myself, I have over 20 years experience in the design industry. Uh, about 10 of those have been digital and UX. And in that time, I've been involved in recruitment many times, either as a hire or the applicant. And I've got to say in the last few years, it's become increasingly apparent to me that we have a problem with our UX recruitment process. And I wanted to sort of talk to that today. Uh, so as a part of that, I, I thought it was really important to investigate that, not just based on my own opinion. So I've actually spoken to a group of UXs from across the industry, from a range of different levels of experience and areas. And I wanted to share with you what I've found. So a little bit concerningly, I've actually found that the problem's much bigger and broader than what I expected. I've discovered that there's a cost to applicants, that there's a loss of productivity for them as a result of what we're asking them to do in order to apply for positions. And this is leading to a reduced mobility of them across the workforce. And what I also saw is that there's a slowing of their career advancement as a part of that story. I also spoke to hirers and from this group, I heard that they're actually finding less experienced applicants coming up through the ranks. And they're also finding it's a really time consuming hire process that we currently have. And finally, I spoke to a, a, few people who actually were new to recruiting to UX and they were talking to me about how the process is actually really confusing and complex and there's some real challenges of adopting that as a first time UX hire in an organisation. So it's quite a, a big broad range of concerning issues there that I wanted to cover and I'll be going into that with you in detail today and also providing some suggestions of how we might be able to do it differently. Before I get stuck into the detail though, I wanted to just touch on the fact that this isn't a, a new conversation. Uh, it's been a hot topic, particularly internationally in the US, uh, but also it's becoming more topical locally. And I think that that's a really good thing. I wanted to give a big nod to David Spool. I'll actually be name dropping him a few more times in my presentation. He's really been talking hard about this for at least a decade. So I'd wanted to just uh, refer you to some of his information. I'll actually be sharing these links on LinkedIn um, afterwards. Uh, but he's really pointed out the issues around portfolios and design challenges in terms of hiring UXs. He's also talked to his concerns around this need to hire the perfect UXer and the process is sort of built around this idea of finding the best UXer. And he's instead uh, promoted this idea of looking for comparable skills and experience rather than the best, which I think is really interesting. Um, I'll actually be talking to that in the framework that I'll be presenting later on. 
Now, relating back to what Katya has been talking about, he also has flagged that there are some huge issues around our process in regards to diversity. And he's in particular spoken, I guess, in, with the US context around uh, women and people of colour. But I think it goes across the board to any, any um, group that is potentially disadvantaged when applying for roles in what's a very onerous process. Um, but today, I just want to focus right in here on what, we're, what we need to look at locally. I don't think there's been enough of a focus on what's been happening in the Australian market. So my research is focusing on that today. So when I uh, analysed the findings of my research, I actually grouped the participants into three areas. The first is zero to five years sort of group of experience. And I'm calling them midweights. So these midweights, obviously, are just coming out of being juniors and graduates, and they were talking to that experience. This group, it was actually quite surprising and interesting. This is why we do research. What I learned is that uh, this group are actually really happy to do take-home design challenges, which was different to my point of view. Uh, they told me that their reasons for wanting to do design challenges at home is that it gave them time to prepare and it also allowed them to actually show the skills that they have that they may not yet have been able to apply to a real project. So that was, that was interesting to hear. That said, they also told me that they're only actually starting to apply for new roles once they become desperate to leave a role. And that was a bit of a red flag for me because it means that they're finding the process is a big investment to go to the next position and they're not leaving maybe when they should be thinking about moving on. I also heard from managers around this topic, uh, so some more experienced UXs were talking to me about their concerns about this group. And so while they thought the design challenges were possibly appropriate, they don't have any power whatsoever to question the process of being asked to follow. And I think my connection is unstable. I hope it's balanced out. Okay, move on to the next slide. Uh, so what we're hearing, and so then moving on to the next group, the seniors and leads group. So this is people with five to 10 years experience approximately, and these are all generalizations, but I think it helps to, to categorize them. Uh, with this group, uh, it was a really different point of view on take-home design challenges. They were telling me that they felt that they weren't appropriate for them, and yet most of them had actually completed them when applying for their current role, which was intriguing. This group, again, were telling me that they were actually dropping out of or not even applying for roles in the first place because they were too busy to complete the application requirements. And this is where the lack of mobility and career progression comes into, into play. And then finally, the, the last group that I spoke to were the ones with 10 plus years experiences, obviously consultants, managers, directors. This group told me a very different story, and that is that they actively decline or change the conversation that is happening around a recruitment process if they're not happy with what's being asked of them. They take back power and they, they actually try to improve the process so they're getting the right result, not just for them, but for the person that's hiring. They wanna know themselves if it's the right position for them. And in terms of how this actually plays out in investment, uh, I've actually done the numbers and it's quite intriguing. So what I found is that midweights reported to me up to 62 hours to require a, to acquire a role was required. And this is including the time spent to prepare application requirements and to attend interviews. And that averaged out to about 35 hours across that group. Senior and leads were reporting to me that they were spending a whopping 110 hours or up to 110 hours to prepare for their role. And this averaged out to 44 hours across this group, which surprised me. It's more than what the juniors and midweights were needing to do. 
And it compares really uh, extremely surprisingly with the what's required for consultant managers. And this is where, because they've taken uh, control of the conversation, they're only investing up to five hours or an average of five hours to acquire their next position. And so this really raises the question of why are experienced senior and lead UXs having to invest more for roles? And this is something that I think we need to look at pretty hard as, as an industry and work out how to resolve it. So wanting to have both sides of the discussion, I've also, as mentioned, spoken to hirers. They told me that they're following the processes that they think they're meant to follow, and yet they're finding them to be complex and time consuming. They're doing that though, because they believe that's the way to assess technical skills. And they're also trying to manage their perceived hiring risks. That said, some of these hiring managers actually said they felt case studies were a better way of determining experience. And so we really need to wonder, is it time to mix things up here? And I hope it is. Uh, the great news is that all of these people were really open to hearing of a different way of doing things. So just before we get stuck into the second half of my presentation, I'd just like to invite you all to be uh, conversing in the chat. I'm not looking at it right now, but we'll have a look at it during Q&A or I can respond to it. And what I'm interested in hearing here is what are the risks that you're trying to manage when you're recruiting UXs and how are you currently managing those risks? Okay. So now what I want to do is present to you uh, my point of view of how we could be doing this in a much more streamlined way. Uh, I think that the goal here would be trying to make our recruitment process easier and fairer for applicants, especially for our seniors and leads, because really they're often making up the, the greater area of our industry. Um, so we want, what we want to do here is free up their energy, they're spending on this so they can actually invest it back into their career path and into their practice. And we also want to make this a, a, a process that brings better results for hirers, and I think we can do that. So first of all, I just want to talk about the design challenges here. I, um, I think it's really important that while we're acknowledging that they may be appropriate to use for juniors and midweights, it's really critical that we use them wisely and with care and restraint. And that's to make sure that we're not taking advantage of that um, imbalanced power situation when people are entering the industry. Uh, what I heard really strongly from the people that had had to complete design challenges recently is that they really found a lot of them didn't actually apply to the role they're applying for. So when you're writing a brief for a design challenge, make sure it's a real life problem, one that's relevant to the role and one that provides information to them that actually allows them to respond as a UXer should respond, not just a designer. And that's the point of difference here that, uh, and this is where it's really important to make sure you've got someone crafting that design challenge that understands that point. Uh, be real, and this is where we've spoken early today about building relationships with our teens, and it's really important to build a sense of trust, even at the point when you're inviting people to talk to you about working with you, let alone when they're in your team. And alternatives to design challenges, look, a great place to start here is to just really be really clear in your job description, the key selection criteria. Let the applicant tell you why they're suitable. And then in the interviews, actually seek examples of comparable experience. Uh, uh, with that, uh, I think it's really important for you to think about different ways of asking questions. Jared Scott's got a great idea there of asking about the project you've worked on that you're most proud of. I've got a, a singing noise. I'm not quite sure what that is. Um, so just moving on, I think. Uh, 
ask, use interviewers who are confident using asking, sorry, make sure you've got someone in the interview that's also confident in asking about the UX process. Um, if you're not confident yourself, make sure you've got a hiring manager in the room or uh, invite somebody from outside your organisation to be part of that. And this is where I'll be suggesting you actually use UX consultants to do that. So moving straight into the application requirements guide, uh, with this group you of uh, the juniors, zero to five years to graduates, you're looking for essential skills at this point. Uh, whereas opposed to when you're looking at five to 10 years, you should be looking for a focus on experience, 10 plus years, you're talking to experts at that point, so you're looking for expertise. So in terms of the application requirements across these groups, it's actually pretty even for the most part. So as a starting point, ask for LinkedIn profiles as opposed to CVs and uh, resumes. The reality is an online profile is going to give you just as much, if not more information about the candidate than uh, the PDF or, or Word doc that they'd be providing to you and also reduces the amount of work that they're needing to do. And in terms of knowing if you're getting what the applicant's true story, they're more likely to be truthful about their experience on an online public profile than they are on the document they're sending to you privately. Next up, ask for a portfolio from graduates and juniors, and that would be based on design activities they've done, uh, whereas as opposed to case studies, which are about real experience. And that's what you'd be expecting to get from midweights and seniors and leads once they've actually built up a bit of a, a, a experience in their, in their roles. We've spoken to the design challenges. With the uh, midweights, you'd want to start moving into in interview activities with them. So bring the design challenge response into the interview or just ask them to respond to one of their case studies if it's up to speed. Moving on to seniors and leads. Uh, with this group, you might even want to mix it up and ask them to facilitate a workshop if that's relevant to the role or undertake a short 10, 15 minute design activity in the interview. And potentially with experts, you could ask them to present a case study in an interview uh, or ask them for their approach to a challenge that's relevant to the role. And now just looking at the interview process itself. Here, it's really important that you keep this as streamlined as possible. What you'd be aiming to do is to uh, have an interview across the board that the first point of contact with the applicant where you're talking to them, whether it be by phone, remote, video conference or in person, is actually to have the hiring manager on that interview. Uh, there's twofold reasons for that. One is that the applicants that I had spoken to in my research were saying they wanted to be able to ask questions. And really the hiring manager themselves are the best placed person to make inquiries with the person that they're hiring about whether or not they're suitable for the role to ask them those follow on questions about their experience. And the second activity that I'd highly recommend that you make as your base part of your interview process is meeting the team and testing a culture fit. So an interview to do that with the group is separate to the one with the hiring manager. And with this one, it's an opportunity for both parties to find out if it's the right fit. The group, once again, that I spoke to said that they found that really valuable. Follow-up activities, these will be available to you to look into, um, but we've already covered them generally. Only hold these activities as separate activities if you need to. Try and reduce the amount of time you're asking for your, for your applicants to hold with you up to about two to three hours maximum. And just moving into my final slide here around information. So what I'd like you to do is to actually be part of the conversation of evolving this proposal that I'm putting forward. Uh, 
So myself and Mags have been talking about this over the last few weeks and believe there's a bit of a gap. We'd like to be able to work with you together as an industry to develop a better way of doing this recruitment process and also, of course, the development of our members of our industry and that's Mags area. And we'll be publishing our work on LinkedIn and inviting you all to be a part of that conversation. So please connect with us and follow that over the coming days and weeks. I'll also be putting a call out to UX consultants and I'll be putting together a list of people you can reach out to to help you with the application process if you don't think that you can ask those probing questions in interview yourself or if you're unsure of what good looks like. This is a way for you to make sure you've got the right process for your organisation and feel much more confident about that hiring process. And I'll also be sharing some of those articles from Jared School because they are awesome. Okay, and I think that brings us up to time. Um, How's that, Steve? Uh, do we have time for Q&A? We are right on, I think there's about 30 seconds to go. No worries. Well, I'm happy to just answer them in the Q&A. There's been a couple of comments. Uh, so in the Q&A panel, there have been some uh, questions and some um, reflections as well, um, both so in the Q&A panel and again in the, in the chat. Um, so if, if you have a moment, if you could uh, take a look at those, that would be great. Um, but thank you. That was that was wonderful, and and some some work in there that we as a community and as as an industry really need to see developed. 